All right, we're going to do it, and they're going to they're going to run the power for us, and they're going to run the PowerPoint, and hopefully we'll all come out together. Well, it's great to see you here today. We're looking at the second half of lesson number three, which is entitled Loved Again. Now, I thought that was kind of an interesting title, Loved Again. And what we've been learning through these weeks is the fact that love was given by Hosea to Gomer, and then she rejected it. She kind of threw it back in his face, but now he's commanded to love again, which is a total act of grace. So if you want to open your Bibles to Hosea chapter 3, we're going to look at verse 1, which is really kind of the, the key passage that we're going to be using today. The Lord is talking, and he's talking to Hosea. The Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. What an interesting command that God has given to Hosea. Now, I don't know about you, but my thought was, Lord, you know, he's done so much already. He's already loved her. He's already made her his wife, given her a family, given her status in the community. Uh, why, after she has thrown that all back in his face and left him and deserted him and gone after other lovers as an adulteress, why would you ask him to go back and love her again? Well, this is what God does for us, and that's what the verse said that this is how the Lord loves the Israelites. Even though they have turned to other gods, God has continued to pursue them, a total act of grace. And today we're going to talk about grace. We've been talking a lot and looking through the eyes of Gomer. We've been acting as if we were Gomer and seeing the qualities in Gomer that are also in us. And that's very valid, nothing wrong with that. But today we're going to look at it a little bit differently, and we're going to look at it through the eyes of Hosea, because sometimes God calls on us to be instruments of grace in the lives of people around us. And that is often a difficult thing for us to do. So we want, first of all, to just understand grace. What exactly is grace? Some definitions. When we think about grace, we may think of a, of a variety of number of things. We may have think of a graceful action, sort of like a, a ballerina. Now, I'm not graceful at all. In fact, I have, I'm all bandaged up because I actually tangled with the door of my car today, and I lost. I'm not graceful. I'm not graceful at all. So I appreciate something like a ballerina or maybe a swan or some other animal that is just so graceful, so beautiful. That's one of the definitions of grace that we use, right? How about when we give thanks before a meal, like Thanksgiving? We call that grace, don't we? So we have different ways of expressing grace. But perhaps the most common for us, as we think of it as, as believers, as Christians, we think of grace as a spiritual virtue or a kindness, something that's shown in spite of what is deserved. And this is the extremely important caveat here. Grace is never deserved. It isn't deserved by the person that you're trying to show grace to, and you don't deserve it either when you receive it from other people or from God. It is something that's shown in spite of what is deserved. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 tells us, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. So it is always a gift. It is not something that we do or earn on our own. Otherwise, we would boast about it. 
Grace without regard to merit is kind of a strange concept to us. And the reason I think for that is, is that we're conditioned to think that if we work hard, what will happen? We'll be rewarded, right? It'll be good for us. But that is not what grace is all about. We're conditioned to think that if we work hard, we'll get reward. But that is not what grace is all about. There's a very interesting parable in Matthew chapter 20. And this is a parable about uh, a wealthy landowner who has a vineyard. And he goes out first thing in the morning and he finds some people to work in his vineyard and he hires them and he says he will pay them a denarius, which was the going rate for a day's labor. And I did a little bit of reading about this and I learned that uh, typically a person was hired for a day and paid at the end of the day and that amount that he was paid, the denarius, was typically enough to buy food for one day for his family. And so everyone, they live day by day by day. Now that's grace, isn't it? Assuming that you will have that, that you will be able to use every day. But anyway, the landowner hired the, the workers that he found out in the, in the marketplace or whatever it was he went in the town, and he told them that he would pay them a denarius for one day. About three hours later, in the, in the middle of the morning, he needed more workers, and so he went out, and sure enough, there were more standing around. And so he said, come work in my vineyard, and I'll pay you what's right. Then at noon, did the same thing again. The middle of the afternoon, did the same thing again. And one hour before quitting time, he did it one more time, and still found workers. And he asked them, how come you're not working? And they said, well, we didn't find anybody that wanted us. Well, he took them. And so at the end of the day, he told all of the workers to come to receive their pay, starting with the one who was hired last. And he gave those that were hired last a denarius. And when those that had worked all day saw this, they thought, oh my goodness, we're going to get a lot of money because we work so much longer. But not so, if you know the parable. Each one received a denarius. And so the, those that had worked all day began to complain that this wasn't right. They'd worked in the heat of the day, and they were getting the same amount of money as those that had only worked for one hour. But the landlord said, don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So what we always need to remember, that grace is based on the generosity of the giver. It is not based on the worth of the receiver. And this is where we get in trouble because we tend to think that we're going to get what we've invested. But that is not true of grace. With grace, there's no, there's no worth of the recipient that's, in, that's in, involved. It is rather based on the generosity of the giver. Now, as we try to apply this, I think it is important for us to remember that grace is always based on the generosity of the giver, and usually, in our case, God. And it's not based on our worth. It isn't that we deserve it or have in any way earned it. This is how God acts with us. And then how do we need to learn to be more generous with our grace given to others? We like it when grace is generously given to us, but we may not be quite so excited about being generous in giving grace to other people. But it works both ways. Grace is based on the generosity of the giver, not on the worth of the receiver. Now we're going to look at three different types or aspects or faces, I've called them, of grace. 
These are three different types of grace that are very, very common in Scripture and that are really kind of the, the, the driving force of our lives. The first is saving grace. And saving grace is based on God's own character. Now, when I was here to teach four weeks ago, we talked about some of the characteristics of God. And one of the characteristics characteristics we talked about was in fact grace. And I even gave you a handout with 27 different attributes of God for us to learn about and to uh, just appreciate all the ways that he does minister in our lives. And the one that we looked at then and we're going to look at again today is grace. And Nehemiah 9.17 was the verse that was given with grace on that sheet. And what that verse says is, but you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love. So here we have really almost a definition of grace. I like that. When I looked at this verse, I realized that's almost a definition of grace. Talked about the fact that he is forgiving, which is certainly part of grace. He is compassionate. He sees our weaknesses and he doesn't hold us to a standard that we can't meet. He's slow to anger. He's very patient with us. He pursues us. And, and then finally, he is abounding in love. And we talked four weeks ago about the kind of love that God displays. The fact that he has unconditional love for us, it is not based on what we deserve or what we've earned, but it's unconditional. He loves us and loves to and loves to love us just by his own choice. It isn't something that we have deserved. Now there's a passage in Romans 3 that I wanna work through a little bit because I think this really explains for us this saving grace that is available through Christ Jesus that God offers to us. Romans 3 beginning with verse 20 says, therefore no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. Now this is a very interesting verse because throughout the book of Hosea and throughout all of the Old Testament, there are many, many places which, where the Israelites are told that they are to obey God and that their relationship with God will be based on their obedience. If they follow him and follow his ways, he will be their God, they will be his people. But as we move into the New Testament, there's, there's a switch here, there's a change. And we're reading that we won't be declared righteous in God's sight by working according to the law, doing what the law says. What's the law supposed to do? It's supposed to identify our sin for us. It gives us the definition of what is sin. And so the Ten Commandments and the rest of God's law in the Old Testament identifies for us how we are to live and points out the things that are sinful. Then the passage goes on to say, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And so we come into relationship with God on the basis of faith, grace through the redemption that came in Christ Jesus. Now interesting, again, we see that God's grace is not linked to our performance, but it's linked to Jesus' performance on our behalf. So it's very important that we recognize that someone had to be the righteous person. Someone had to pay the penalty for sin. 
And so God is willing to not look at our performance, which is always faulty, we can never be perfect, but rather to look at the performance of Jesus on our behalf. I have heard a song on the radio a few times by Matthew West, and I, I had thought about the song, and it just kind of came back to my mind as I was preparing this lecture. And I decided to try and, and Google it and to find it on YouTube, and I did. And I've got, in fact, on, on the back of your sheet, the name of the song. It's called Grace Wins. And in the refrain of that song, it says, there's a war between guilt and grace, and they're fighting for a sacred place. All right, the grace and the guilt are opposites, right? We are guilty. We know we are guilty. We have sinned, we have failed God, and we are guilty. But God offers us grace. And these two are vying for the control of our heart, vying for the control of our lives. And he says they're, they're fighting for this, for this control in our lives. But then the song goes on to say, but I'm living proof grace wins every time. For always and forever, grace wins. Grace wins every time time. Grace is always greater. It's always stronger than any guilt that we have. And sometimes we do feel very guilty for things that we have done. But grace is always stronger. God does not look at our performance. He looks at Jesus' performance, which was perfect. And he takes the righteousness of Jesus and applies it to us. And so grace wins every time. That's saving grace. And hopefully everyone in this room has come into relationship with God through this saving grace. And again, I would say, if you're not sure what this means, not sure that this has been true of your life, please see one of us, one of your leaders, Lorreen, myself, Rhonda, Michelle, please. We want to make sure that there's no doubt in your mind but what this saving grace is part of your life because that's what brings you into relationship with God. So we have saving grace. The second kind of grace, the second face of grace that we want to look at is what I've referred to as sustaining grace. And in sustaining grace, God keeps us going and growing as his children. Just as we needed God's grace for forgiveness to bring us into relationship with him, we continue to need his grace day by day. Are you going to sin again after you've come into relationship with God and, and receive salvation? Are you going to sin again? Absolutely. So where are you going to go? You're going to go to God's grace, the same place that you went initially. You're going to continue to go to God's grace day after day after day. Our performance doesn't save us, and it doesn't keep us in God's graces. We live by grace through faith. And so every day we continue to live by grace. And sometimes I think we get messed up here. We know that we can only come to God for salvation through grace because we don't have righteousness in ourselves. But then we try to go to works. Okay, we think, all right, I'm in now. Now, now all of a sudden, it's going to be works. I'm going to be, I'm going to be judged by, by my works. But that's not the case because we still live by grace, by sustaining grace. We live by grace through faith. All right, where are we going to get this grace? Where are we going to get this grace? We're going to get this grace from God because he's the only one that is able to forgive us for our sins, right? Hebrews 4, 16 tells us, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time 
of need. So day by day, we need God's grace for forgiveness for our sins, for the ability to live in ways that please him. And how do we receive this ongoing grace? We ask for it. We ask for it. His throne of grace refers to his position of authority in heaven, right? And we come to him with confidence, knowing that he will give us the grace to help us in our time of need. All right, now a couple of areas of need for which we definitely need God's grace. First of all, we need God's grace for the good works that he wants to do through us. Now, this may be a newsflash to us, but God has something that he wants each one of us to do. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, we read, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God has things he wants every one of us to do, and they're all slightly different. And where are we going to get the ability to do these things? Have you ever been involved in a, in a ministry or in some kind of serving that where you just felt way over your head? Where are, you going to get the, where are you going to get the ability to do that? From God, right? He's the one that has called you to do it, and he's the one who's going to give you the ability. 2 Corinthians 9, 8 says, And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Where are you going to get that all, 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 every? You're going to get it from God, right? If he has asked you to serve him in a certain way, he's going to give you the grace. He's going to give you the ability to do the things he's asked you to do. All right, another area. God gives us special grace for our human difficulties. The Apostle Paul had some kind of a disablement. We don't know exactly what it was. He referred to it as a thorn in the flesh. And he asked God to remove it. In fact, we read in 2 Corinthians 12, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Okay, do you rejoice in hardships and persecutions and weaknesses and insults and difficulties? Ah, uh, not really. I don't like to do that. But why can we delight in the fact that we are weak? Because God is strong. And his grace to us is his strength in our weakness. As long as I'm trying to be strong, I don't really need the Lord's grace. I don't really need the Lord's help. But when I recognize how weak I am, I had a little altercation with a car door this morning and lost. Um, as I was coming on my way, in fact, I was a, week I was a block down the street, moved my hand and saw blood running down my hand. And oh my goodness, talk about weak. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. But when we fight against our weaknesses, then God's strength, God's grace and strength can't flow through us. So he says, you just back off. You let me be the strong one. I'm the one that has the grace. I'm the one that has the strength. So how do we need to pray for God's sustaining grace to help us in a work that he has for us to do? How do we need to pray for God's sustaining grace to help us in a difficult situation that we're facing right now? And do we really approach God's throne of grace with confidence 
knowing that he will hear and that he will answer the prayers that we have for him. God enables us by his grace in ways that please him. There are many, many places in the New Testament where we read in the apostles' writings, in the epistles, of different kinds of graces that he wants to be true of our lives. And I was looking for a place that kind of gave a, a, a concise listing of some of these graces and how important they are. And I found some verses in Colossians, which I've used many times before, Colossians 3. The Apostle Paul is using a metaphor here, and he's using a metaphor of clothing. And he's challenging believers that they need to exhibit the inner qualities of grace in an external way. So clothing that's attractive and colorful draws our attention, right? You all look very beautiful today. That draws our attention. We see it. And so he's saying the inner things, these inner graces, these inner qualities should be apparent on the outside as well. If you just hide them inside, they don't mean as much. But when you have that beautiful exterior, people look at that and think, ah, now that's pretty. Now that's something I'd like to have. Now that's something I really admire. And so in Colossians 3, Paul gives us eight spiritual virtues that he wants the believers to know that these things should be true of their lives and they should express them to the people that they come in contact with. So let's look at these verses in Colossians 3. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. All right, eight qualities. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance, forgiveness, love. Any of those things sound interesting to you? Any of these things sound desirable? Very much so, I would think. All right, let's think a little bit about these. We are to be filled with compassion. That is to be a grace that typifies our life, compassion. Not hard-hearted, not demanding that people do things the way we want them done or live up to an unrealistic expectation, but compassionate, realizing that we all fall short and we all have special needs. Then kindness, not selfish, not keeping and hoarding my own ways and my own things, but being willing to be kind and to reach out to people that have special needs. Humility. There are several places in the New Testament where it says that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. I thought that was interesting. God gives special grace to the humble. He is so concerned that we be humble that he gives us special grace so that we can, in fact, display humility in our lives. Not controlling, not proud, which is our, our typical response, right? but rather to be humble. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Then gentleness. It's easy for me to be very harsh. I, uh, this is an area that I've worked on for many, many years and still have a long ways to go. Gentleness just isn't part of my character at all. I am just, woohoo, right down the line. <laughs> Cut them, claw, as you see them. You know, let the sparks fly where they may. That's not very graceful, folks. That's not very graceful. He wants us to be gentle, not harsh. Then patience. That's another one I really have to work on. 
I tend to be rather demanding. I want it done now, if not sooner. The very first time I say it, when I ask my grandkids to do something and they say yes, and then they don't even move, it ah, just drives me crazy. Didn't you say yes? Didn't you hear what I told you to do? Go do it. Oh, well, I'm finishing what I'm doing. Oh, no, no, no. I told you to do it. You do it now. Anybody have that little quirk in their lives? Okay. We're to be patient, not demanding. Then forbearance. Forbearance is not a word that we use a whole lot. It literally means to put up with, to be patient with. Rather than judgmental, rather than critical, we are to be patient. Then forgiveness rather than being unforgiving and unrealistic in our expectations. Many, many times we have very unrealistic expectations, and that keeps us from having the, the grace of forgiveness. And then lastly, love. And he said that love is the one that binds them all together in perfect unity. And again, we talked about the kind of love that God has for us and that he wants us to display to others. That's a love that's not performance-driven. It's not emotion-driven, but it is rather a choice, a choice of the will to love, to act in ways that are loving. So God asks us to extend grace to the people in our life as he asked Hosea to extend grace to Gomer. So today we're kind of looking through Hosea's eyes. God is asking us to extend grace. We know how wonderful it is to receive grace from God as well as from uh, the people in our lives. But it's a little hard, no, not just a little hard, it's a lot harder sometimes to extend that grace. But that's what we're asked to do. As we have received it, as God has graced us, we are to turn it around and we are to ex exhibit grace to others. Okay, how are we going to do that? What is this going to look like? I wanted to make some kind of a visual of how we can extend ex our expressions of grace. What's that going to look at? And the first thing that I thought about is eyes of grace. Are we willing to see the good? Are we willing to see the positive? Are we willing to see the uplifting in people around us? And then encourage this. For some of us, this is very hard. You know, it's so easy to see the things we don't like, the things that are disappointing, the things that we want changed, and to, just to harp on that. Isn't it easy to go there? It sure is for me. But I think we need to learn to look with eyes of grace, eyes that see the good and the positive, not the negative always. Then lips, lips of grace. What kind of words do we speak? Do we speak words of affirmation? Do we speak words of encouragement? Now, I think it's also important to realize that we are to use words of instruction and warning. That's very important in many of our roles, particularly in our mothering roles and in other roles too. It is, I'm not trying to say that you only say good, positive things that are gonna pat people on the back. That's really not what I'm saying. There are very definitely times when we need to, work, to speak words of instruction and of warning and of correction, but it's how we do it if we do it with grace or if we do it with harshness and just get it out there. So lips of grace, then arms of grace. Sometimes we just need someone to come alongside, to comfort, to understand, to support. They don't need you to tell them how to change their situation. 
They just need you to hold them and to be there and to care. We can extend grace with arms of comfort and support. And then lastly, with hands, hands of grace. And that's what comes alongside to help us to minister, to help others to, to minister, to do those practical things that need to be done. All of these things are important. Do we learn to look in the right places, to speak the right words, to hold, to comfort, and then in hand, with hands to come alongside and serve. So I think it is important for us to think about ways that we do express grace to the people in our lives, those closest to us. And then to set a goal, to start hopefully even this very week in each of these four categories that we discussed. My husband loves it when I have things like this. And I make the mistake sometimes of telling him <laughs> that this is an assignment that we're doing. And uh, afterwards, he'll say, well, are we ever going to go back to that <laughs> assignment where <laughs> you don't criticize? Or <laughs> oh, yeah, we do need to pay attention to that every once in a while, don't we? <clears throat> but this is my challenge for me, and this is my challenge for you. What, does he, what is God asking you to do with your eyes? How is he asking you to see with grace? Perhaps there's an area in your home, in your neighborhood, that there's just not been much grace there, and he's just been nudging you and saying, no, you've got to look with grace. You've got to see the good. You've got to see the positive. You've got to be encouraging. You've got to be uplifting. Perhaps in the area of, of our speaking, how is he asking you to speak with grace? Not just wham it down, but uh, to speak with grace. Then arms of grace, feeling, empathizing with someone in your life that just really needs you to be there, doesn't need you to say anything, doesn't need you to try and solve their problems for you, but just to be there and just to let them know that you care. And then finally, there may be an area where God will bring somebody across your path, maybe someone you don't even know very well, but give you an opportunity to serve that person with grace in a way that will really make a difference. Now, when you look at a person that is graceful with their words and with their arms and with their hands, you look at that just like Paul said in Colossians 3 and think, oh my, how beautiful. That is so beautiful. And that's what he's calling us to do, to make those things obvious, make those things obvious. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Brian Coffey was... Uh, preaching the sermon in the service that I was in and that he had been talking about Joseph and grace was one of the topics that he had been talking about. And in his prayer at the end of the service, in his benediction, he prayed that we, referring to the congregation, might live as ambassadors of God's grace. And that impressed me. I wrote it on my worship guide because I think that's exactly what God wants us to do. He wants us to be emissaries. He wants us to be ambassadors of his grace. When we talked about grace four weeks ago as God's character quality, we mentioned the fact that this was a communicable attribute. It was an attribute that it was God's, but is also to be reflected and communicated in our lives. And so, as Paul said, clothe yourself. Make these things obvious. Let people see these traits in your life. Be an ambassador of God's grace it makes a tremendous difference. Be graceful.
Father, thank you so much for your love for us, for your grace, which is just beyond measure. There is no way that we could ever, ever, ever earn or deserve or repay all the grace that you give us day in and day out. Thank you, first of all, for our salvation, which is a total act of grace. You take Jesus' performance in our place, and you declare us righteous. You make us right and one with you. Then you sustain us by your grace, day in and day out, in the hard times, and doing the things that you're wanting us to do to minister for you. You give us your grace. Thank you so much for your grace. And then you show us qualities of grace that are so beautiful, that make our lives productive and meaningful and helpful to one another. And you ask us to grace each other, just as you asked Hosea. What a difficult assignment you gave him to love again someone who had been so terrible to him and had just thrown his love back in his face. We may have someone like that in our life. And you're saying, love her again, love him again. Extend grace, extend grace. So Father, thank you for these lovely women and thank you for the grace that is in, in each of their lives. I pray, Father, that the grace may, might grow in us and that we might be able to express it and to extend it in ways that truly honor you as your ambassadors. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Be graceful.